You are listening to a message brought to you by Christian Life Church Lempster. To find out more about us, go to www.clch.cc. So a quick background slash confession uh, about the preach this week. Um, I had, I was actually ready completely to talk about fasting this week. Um, I'd been kind of praying and searching what, what's, what's going to be the topic for this week as part of our holiness theme and um, just really felt kind of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, fasting, this is fasting this week, you know, we've been speaking in a small group about how we need some teaching on it and I was like, right, this is going to be the week. Then um, Thursday came, Friday came and then Friday night came and then God was like, nah mate, it's not fasting this week, it's not. I was like, God, I prepared a preach and everything. He was like, no, we're going we're gonna to be hitting um, something different today. And I was kind of a little bit apprehensive of, of this topic today because I'm like, I, I've, I don't hear about this preached much. I don't hear, um, it's not a theme of my life. I'm going to be honest. It's not something that I, like, I always go back to. You know, sometimes you can talk about the uh, gifts of the Spirit. You might talk about um, the unity of the faith. You might talk about the transformation of the gospel in your life. But this topic today has not been the theme of my life. So I'm thinking, how am I going to bring this to you guys today? Especially, God, it is about 11 o'clock on Friday night. So today, um, so then what happened is, like, this morning I rocked up and prayer happened. But I had a chat with someone in, just before we started who talked about um, a story of someone blessing them abundantly in a moment of severe need. And then Margaret then shared a Bible verse um, about kindness and compassion. And I was thinking, wait a minute, this all seems to start making sense. Now, today, we're going to be talking about compassion. This is the title for today, just compassion. And um, those of you who've got a Bible, we're going to be hitting a few Bible verses today. So Hebrews 13, um, verses, I think it's like just two. Hebrews 13, verse 2. Um, so for those of you that have been with us for the past few weeks or months even, we've been looking at a series on holiness. Just looking at actually... We as Christians, we as a church, we as people who believe in Jesus Christ are called to be different. We're called to be holy. We're called to be set apart. That doesn't mean you have to live the righteous life. It means you have to live the life that God has called you to. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It means God has made you perfect. And because he's made you perfect and justified before him, you can now live out exactly what he's called you to. There is nothing today that can make God love you any less than he already does. And there's nothing you can do today that will make God love you any more than he already does. So you're stuck. You're stuck with God's abundant, glorious, majestic, powerful love over you. And there is nothing you can do about it, whether you like it or not. Some of us might be wanting some of God's love and we might be trying to earn it. Others of us might be trying to run from God's love and trying to escape it. Either way, what God does, he pulls both of us into his glorious riches and abundant grace. Amen? Amen. So no matter what scale of life you're at, whether you're on the peaks or in the troughs, we have an abundantly loving God. So, um, I did have kind of verses here that I might have to change now. Um, Here we go. Let's take that off. Can you see that? No. Aha! Oh, no. There we go. So, Hebrews 13. It says, Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Simple verse. So, let's uh, get our hearts ready for what God's going to do this morning to the preach. Amen. So Holy Spirit, we just ask right now that you take these words, these um, spiritually um, pregnant words, and you just sow this, these seeds into our hearts right now. God, we pray that our hearts become transformed 
by what your power, what your power is behind these words. God, I pray that for myself, for any words that are too much, any words that are extraneous, God, that you just put in the hearts of these people listening right now, uh, you just put your truth. You just plant your kingdom, you plant your love deep into their hearts, God, that we might see fruit in their lives, that we might see fruit in this church uh, for what you've got for us, God. Amen. So, um, I'm all over the shop, guys. I'm really sorry. Um, Human dignity. We live in a time when pretty much around the world, everyone understands, in most cases, that everyone has the right to life. Yeah? We live in a wonderful time where we have the uh, United Nations Bill of Human Rights. Fantastic. Uh, We live in a time when people value the lives of others in, in the most part. That has not always been the case. The first draft of Constitution of Human Rights only came around in the 18th century. Before then, government was not really responsible by any sense for what humans did with or to each other. Now, in the ancient world, we're talking kind of like, you know, 1000, 2000 BC, um, up up to Jesus. The Greek and Roman Empire was a pretty terrible place if you were not a Roman citizen. Now, some of you guys might know this, some of you guys might um, be aware, or not, but if you were, not just not a Roman citizen, but if you were a, a woman who was not part of a, an estate or a larger family, you were pretty much looked down upon as purely... Um, a, an item for purchase, an item for selling. You were a belonging to someone. If you were a child, it was even worse because at least women could earn some kind of income into the family, could look after the house to some degree, whereas children, especially babies, were not. If you were a baby born into kind of ancient Roman, Greek culture, you really hoped that either you were the firstborn, in which case hopefully kind of there was a family to be born into and a house to be born into, and enough money and enough food to make, you know, make it all last. However, if there were already too many kids in the family, if there were already too many mouths to feed in the family, and you were born into this, then what happened? What did the families do that had no food, that had no extra shelter, that had no extra space to house this mouth to feed? So what they would do, which was a very common practice, was just infanticide. They would leave uh, babies out on the streets. They would leave them out in the forests. They would leave babies out, and this was the main place they would, be, they would be left out is in the marketplace. They would hope to leave babies out in the marketplace in the hope that somebody else would pick them up and at least enable them to live. But Rome is a really interesting place because the Roman civilization weren't atheists. They believed in gods, multiple gods. So if if the gods have blessed me with a child and they've allowed me to put the child out into kind of whatever place I put it into, then the gods will decide what's going to happen with my baby. It's over to them. I am shirked of all responsibility. Now, options for babies who are left out. Either, hopefully, they die a quick death. Now, a quick death could be, um, as is kind of documented, uh, often bears, wolves, dogs, Others would be starvation, or too cold, left out to the elements. You might hope that they might get picked up by a rich family. There was a kind of a level of adoption, kind of common in um, Roman practice. But the worst side could also be that they get picked up by people who 
don't want the best for babies. They get picked up by people who don't want to do the best for babies. That is also well documented in Roman civilization. Because these children had less of a right to life, they had less worth, they had less value than a person who could pay their way, a person who could earn a living, a person who could bring some influence into society. So then along come these weird, from the Roman point of view, atheists. There come a group of people who believe in this guy called Jesus, who don't believe in our gods, and they seem to be treating kids and women very differently. These people who believed in this Jesus Christ guy, what they would do, what they seem to be doing is picking up children off the street and adopting them to care for them in their places called churches. These people who believe in Jesus appear to be taking women who can't fend for themselves necessarily, taking them into a family and giving them roles, responsibilities, giving them positions of influence within their church. The first orphanages were set up by churches. The first places of care for people, hospitals, were set up by churches. Because something happened that came contrary to the current culture of the day that meant that people started caring for others in need. Christianity brought with it a whole new dimension of care for other people. Um, a couple of ways that this worked out. In the, in about, I think it was like 358, the year 358, so really quite early on, um, you had like your first documented sets of plagues in the Roman Empire. And what the Christians would do, because they cared for people, that includes the ill and the uh, bedridden and the sick, instead of allowing people to die, no, sorry, what the Romans would do when someone got ill was they would leave them to it. It became common that if a family became ill, that that house, that estate, would become empty because people would leave that estate and not travel to it anymore. So they became kind of, you get these empty houses, these empty estates because the family got ill and no one would visit them to take care of them. Once you were ill, it was, if you make it, great. If you don't, I don't care. There was no system of caring for ill people, not even in your own family. Um, the rich elite, and this is still the case today, would have almost like, um, not quite summer houses, but they'd have estates in the country where they would go to when cities got taken over by plague. People left cities the moment that disease, sickness, and ill health seemed to overtake the area they were in. That was until these people who believed in Jesus came along. Because what would happen is, the Christians would take responsibility for those who are ill, for those who are sick, for those who are, who are at home. And they would go into the cities, they'd go into the homes. They would pray for, clean up after, look after the people who were stuck at home. The people whose family had left them. The people whose friends didn't want to know them because they were sick, because they were potentially dangerous. So when pandemics came along, Christians rose up to the challenge to meet the need of the people where they were at. Because Christians, you see, have a very different view of human life. Christians... Jesus, his teaching, gives us a very different picture of what it means to look after and to care for others. So these Christians, who the Romans considered atheist, believed in this Jesus guy who came, lived, a, lived this life, died, rose again. It says, so Jesus showed compassion 
by dying for everyone equally. Every single person on this world, Jesus died for, rose again for, so that everyone has the ability, the option, to an eternal life. There is no one outside of that. There is no one that can disregard themselves from that invitation. Now, because Jesus has done that, because Jesus came and showed us what it's like to actually show compassion, to actually show love towards others by giving us the greatest sacrifice. We know, um, I think it's in John, that um, love is shown by he who laces, lays his life down for his brother. So Jesus has come and showed compassion by laying his life down for everybody, which, just like we spoke about at the beginning, God's love is for everyone, and so is Jesus' invitation to an eternal life open to everyone. See, for Jesus, no matter your family background, no matter your name, no matter your race, your ethnicity, your sickness or your health, no matter your income, no matter your um, pension value, no matter what you believe, no matter how many kids you've got, no matter your family name, Jesus died with the same invitation open to everyone. So as Christians who are now living out the life of Christ, everyone that we see falls into that bracket of loved and invited. There is no one outside of that. This belief of not just um, how we treat people, but who people are at the very core of their being completely shook the ancient world. Almost every other civilization had two things. You had your elite, your extreme rich royalty, almost godlike. I think this week, you might have even seen, some of you guys might have seen, this is the um, like anniversary of um, the Roman Empire being like created. Then the story of Tiberius and something else. The um, two boys, um, that's the one, raised by wolves. Um, which again, story, an interesting story of uh, adopted, being a, instead of being killed by wolves, being adopted. Interesting. Um, you have your extreme end of being rich, influence, all that kind of stuff. And then you have the other extreme of untouchables. People who are not just, um, you know, not just human, but they are worth less. They have no value. Actually, it's better if they weren't here than that they are here. Pretty much every civilization had those two extremes, and you kind of worked your way between these. Some, some of it was religious, some of it was kind of socio-economical. There's a whole host of different reasons. Until the church, early Christianity, came along and said, no, everyone has worth. Everyone has dignity. Everyone is worth something. You are worth something. The message of the gospel wasn't just a message for the elite. It wasn't a message just for the Jews. It wasn't just a message just for the Gentiles. It wasn't a message for people who were able to understand it. It wasn't a message for people who were of a lower socioeconomic class. It wasn't a message for people who believed in certain things. The message of Jesus and the church was for everybody. This invitation to an eternal life, but also a life lived out now through the church. The life of the early Christians demonstrated an invitation into a family, into a lineage that went beyond what they saw now. This is why Christians could go into these places of sickness, why they could look after these babies that were left on the sides of the road, that could look after the women who were kind of left out of their families because they had no one to go to, no one else to marry into, because they didn't worry so much about what was going to happen today and tomorrow and next week. They were only concerned about the eternal life that they had accepted and were living out through Jesus Christ. The early church had a perspective of life that always had eternity in mind. Whenever they met someone, it wasn't just a case of I've met you now, it's a case of how are you going to respond to Jesus' invitation of eternal life? In the meantime, I'm going to show you what it means by caring for you, by looking after you, by loving you, and showing you kindness. 
That was the attitude of the early church. And if any of you do any kind of reading around kind of how did Christianity become what it is today, you know, two, almost two billion people um, kind of accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, would say they're Christian. It started off with 12. Started off with 12 and Jesus. How did we get to this? No social media, no mobile phones, no books. But what you had was compassion. A, the last Roman emperor before Constantine made Christianity the empirical, imperial religion, he said this about Christians. They support not only their poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. The compassion and the care that the early church had over other people spoke right up to the upper echelons of the political landscape. Each individual small caring move, each individual decision by a Christian, each individual act of kindness, each individual move of compassion together formed a wave that was bigger than any single drop could have put towards it. These drops of water, these little drops in an ocean, formed a wave that moved the mountain of the Roman Empire. When all you've had in history is one nation attacking, overcoming another, one nation attacking, overcoming another, you had Christianity. It wasn't a nation. The church wasn't a political group. The church was a family based upon a belief. They changed the world through acts of love for the individual, through acts of care for the individual. They didn't come saying we're going to take over the world. They said we're going to change your heart because of what Jesus has done. We're going to care for what you need because Jesus cares for everything that we need. Compassion is the way that we choose to treat those in misfortune. And it extends out of our own lives into theirs. The first three verses of Hebrews 13, the first one which we spoke about a few weeks ago says, um, love, oh, I can't even remember what it is now. Um, but it's talking about brotherly love. The love that we have for each other in the church family. The next verse, which we're going to be preaching out in a few weeks, is about hospitality. How do, you, how do you open up your home and your lives to invite people in? Verse 3 is about compassion. It's about meeting those outside of our circumstances that need care, that need looking after. So what I see here, there's like kind of three areas of our lives. There's the church family, that we should be incredibly close to. The word is united. So the church family, we are united. That's like your common core. This is who we are. There's hospitality. Those who are close to you. Those who are around you. Your work colleagues, your family, your friends. Those are those who you show hospitality to. But then there's compassion. Compassion is about how we treat those who we have to reach out to who have a lack of something that we are able, by the grace of God, to meet. Why is this important? Because this is exactly how God is made. God has the Trinity, how he works out between him, himself, him, himself, and him. <laughs> how God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit work between the three of them. How they are three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Jesus is also married to his church. Jesus works with his church, speaks through his church, and God brings his kingdom to bear because of the power and manifestation of the glory of God through the church. But then God extends an arm out of that to those who need to hear him, who need his grace, who need his love, beyond that. So what we have here in terms of how we interact with the world around us, we have the church, 
those who believe and call upon the name of Jesus. We have our friends and family, those who we interact with on a, on a regular basis. And then we have those who are beyond that, who we need to extend and reach and arm out, because that is exactly who God is and what Jesus has done. God had to reach down from heaven to pick us up. We've spoken before about there is absolutely no way anyone can have any glimpse of who God is because of simply how different he is. If you have an ounce of what or who God is, it's because he has revealed that to you. God reaches down. God reaches out. He sent his spirit. He sent his son as an invitation to come in. So our compassion as Christians, our compassion as a church, is meant to mimic and imitate the very person of who God is. Because we are all made in the image of God. So because everyone is made in the image of God, everyone has the ability and the capacity to reach out. No one here is disqualified or exempt from reaching out. No one here has a get-out-of-compassion-free card. No one here has a list of things to do before they get to those people who they need to show compassion to. Colossians 3, verse 12 says, Conti oh, no. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The whole part of this series about being holy, being different, being set apart. When, when I ever see the word clothe yourself, I just think of when we get dressed in the morning, what are you choosing to put on? Are you choosing to put on compassion? Are you choosing to put on care for other people? Or are you too worried that you've got your knickers in a twist? <laughs> Paul's not we've, we've talked about that this morning <laughs> sometimes we get so worried about our own lives that we forget that God is clothing us to look after others God has called you to be ready to care God hasn't, say, hasn't said when you get around to it if you could. He hasn't said, on the way back from sorting out your finances, then you can start giving to that person who you know is needing it. He doesn't say, once you've got your routine sorted, then you can start visiting people at home who are feeling lonely. In the morning, we clothe ourselves with compassion each and every day. I also quite like it. it's the first thing. It's the first thing you put on. The first thing you put on is how you see those who are mistreated, those under misfortune, those who might be lacking in some normal sense of the word, in any sense of the word. So who, who is it that we're called to look after? Who is it that we're called to show compassion to? Who is it that we're called to extend a, an arm around? The oppressed. First one. Anyone who comes under attack of any sort, we're called to minister to. Um, Proverbs 14, verse 31 tells us um, that he who forgets the plea of the mistreated will be forgotten. But he who remembers their plight will be blessed, or something like that. We cannot go around our lives thinking, kind of, you know, going from home to work, back again, Waitrose, back again, um, out to meet our friends out on the country estate, back again. When you get into like your routine, you will only meet a cer certain kind of people. Um, when I was in Brazil, um, kind of the place to go is the mall. We don't have those same kind of things here, but um, the mall is it's air conditioned. 
it's clean. It's, it's, it's where a certain type of person goes. There are going to be types of people you'll never meet at the mall, simply because of where you are and who they are. There are certain types of people who in your life you will never meet because of your, daily, your routine, because of who you choose to hang around with, because of who you choose to visit, who you go to work with. This is why church is such a beautiful place. Because it draws on people from every walk of life. It draws on people from every age, from every background. Um, we're also called, as the verse in Hebrews tells us to go to, is are the prisoners. And I'm also going to kind of put within that the persecuted. There are... The way that this is kind of worded in Hebrews 13 makes us think of not just prisoners, those who are imprisoned for something they've done wrong, but also for the sake of the gospel. So some of you, I know on a few of your hearts, is the persecuted church around the world. That there are people who, merely by believing in Jesus Christ, are placed in prison and are tortured and um, come under all sorts of harm and oppression simply for believing what we believe and have the freedom to believe here. But the compassion of the Christian goes beyond governmental justice. We are told to go into prisons to preach the good news to them. Now that means that as Christians, we need to be free from judgment. We need to be free from judgment. What does that mean? That means that even if someone believes different to you, does different to you, speaks different to you, we have a responsibility to treat them in the same way that Jesus would do. Now, this is hard when there are people in your life who have wronged you. This is hard when there are people in your life who have mistreated you. So because they've mistreated you, your individual justice on them is to put them in a prison of never speaking to them again. It's a personal prison. You're in my life, but you're out, of, you're out of me having any communication with you. We cannot place people in prisons of our own making. We cannot exclude our communication with people simply because of our judgment over them. Whatever the government chooses to put judgment on, that is them. We as Christians get to speak into the lives of people who need it most. Can you imagine going into a prison, giving a message of freedom and liberty? That despite the four walls around you, and despite your past, despite your poor decisions, you can still have a life, an eternal life of freedom. That's a powerful message. But you don't get to give it if you're too worried about what that person has done. You don't get to give it if you're too worried about if they've been judged, they must be a bad person. We have only one judge. We have only one person that gets to execute judgment on anyone. So no matter what the government says, we have a responsibility. I, was, I had the privilege of doing some prison work up in Manchester for a couple of years. And if anyone, if any of you guys have ever had the opportunity or get the opportunity, I would sincerely encourage you to get involved somehow. I mean, we don't have too many prisons around here. Um, it might be quite a drive. But um, just speaking of love to these guys. I mean, you might have a picture of what a prisoner looks like, an ex-con. But most of these guys, they've realized the error of their ways before they even set foot into the prison cell. They are looking for hope. They are looking for love. And they are looking for grace. And if your judgment gets in the way of that, their opportunity to respond has been diminished. I'm not saying it's not there, but they have an opportunity to respond when they hear the gospel. Who else do we show compassion to? Those in ill health. Those who are sick. Uh, visiting people in hospital. Um, but then that's, that's not just, of course, physical health. It's mental health host of issues that we might see. We're told to show compassion, to show grace. Um, James 5, I think it's James 5, 
tells us that true religion is this, to look after the widow and the orphan. Now, the widow is someone who can't find their way because they can't find who to marry and they can't, don't belong to any family. The orphan, of course, and we've seen how the widow and the orphan became part of the reason why Christianity became so big in the first place. But nowadays, we don't really get many orphans. We don't really in the same, widows don't mean the same as it did back then. But what it really means is people that don't have families, people that don't have homes. And by homes, I mean homes of the heart. Yeah, people that don't feel they belong somewhere. Church is a place where people can find a home, people can find family, people can find friendship, people can find belonging. Many of you guys know that um, Paola and myself um, spent a few years fostering. And I mean, if each church in the UK took, like, a foster kid, we'd be well on our way to ensuring that there'd be no kids in the actual foster system at all. Not even every church household, every church. I've got a feeling somewhere, this might be, my numbers might be a bit wrong, so don't quote me on this, but I think, it, for example, just the C of E, number of churches and parishes in the, in the county, is around about 400, give or take. And there's around about 800 kids in the foster care system within Herefordshire. So even if just the churches in Hereford took one kid each, you'd have half your problem solved, let alone each family within, Hereford, within the churches within Herefordshire. If you've got a spare room, use it. A bit, okay, sorry, going to get on a soapbox now. People often say to me, God, Jason, I just don't know what God's got for my life. I've not heard him clearly. I've not heard him speak to me. Well, he's spoken very clearly to you. It's called the Bible. It's called compassion. And it's called looking after the orphan. It's called looking after people. If you have a room in your house that is empty, that is a space for a child that needs a family. You might be thinking, I'm too old for this. When we did our foster training, we were the youngest, not by a couple of years, but by a generation. The next oldest were the age of kind of, they were kind of early 50s, more or less. You know, kind of my, that's my parents. Beyond that, you had a lot of 70-ish, um, couple of 80-year-olds in the room. They were just starting their foster care journey. Now, you might think that you want to disqualify yourself because you haven't got it in you anymore. I've been a grandparent once before. My kids won't appreciate it if I take on a foster kid. Don't let their no be yours. God has given you everything you need for you to give everything you have. There is nothing in your life that you lack in order to give someone compassion. If you've got a spare room, that's a gift, right? Unless you've got to clean it a lot. But if you've got a spare room, that's a space. And I have to say, I'm also incredibly proud of so many of you in this church who look to make the most of what you have, of the of the, I'm not saying excess, but the extra that you have in your, in, your root, in your house, in your life, to invite in those who are lacking. I mean, um, many of us know Aldris. Actually, many of you guys don't, looking around now, thinking. So Aldris um, was a... Married, two kids lost his job, therefore lost his wife and lost his kids, then found drink, became homeless for weeks, months, went to our kind of soup kitchen thing in Hereford on one evening, and Levi was there serving the food, and just ended up in a conversation with this guy. He's from Lithuania, he is Lithuania, right? Yeah. Um, completely deaf in one ear, partially deaf in the other, so um, Levi did a great job. And before you knew it, Levi had invited him round to stay at his house. 
I mean, Levi's got a, did have a flat above shoe zone in Lempster. I mean, it's not a spare room, it's a spare sofa. So Levi invited him back, and he started coming to church. Not Levi, um, this guy called Aldris. Aldris started coming to church, and he couldn't, he couldn't speak much English, he couldn't read much, but the first time he came when we were over in the community center, he, he got um, a Lithuanian version of the Bible, he'd be there with his mobile phone, like kind of in the middle of the, of the preach, he'd be like kind of saying, what bit of the Bible are you at? You know, I can't quite get it where we at. Week by week. And then he'd come and he'd, he'd ask for prayer. He'd be in tears because of, he, because of how much he knew that he needed the love of not just of the church, but of Jesus in his life. That how much the care and compassion of uh, Levi had meant for his life, that it had taken him literally off the streets and offered him a home. A few months later, Aldous ended up getting baptized, which was beautiful because <laughs> he didn't tell anyone. Um, this is a story for another time. But he didn't tell anyone he was getting baptized until suddenly um, we got a message saying he's trying to hike his way to Hereford so he can get baptized because he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that is what he needed. Still today, I'm getting messages from him. He's, he's over in Birmingham at the moment. And yeah, he goes through peaks and troughs of life like anyone does. He knows Jesus. He's met with Jesus powerfully. He's in the family. He may not live the perfect life, but show me someone who does. We can't bring judgment upon them for their lifestyle when we know that Jesus has extended an arm out to him. God has called you to show compassion. That is, that's not an optional, some people are called to it, others are not. That is a Christian virtue, a Christian hallmark of who you are, who we are. 1 John 3 says, says, says nothing. No, okay. Does that work? Okay. Don't work. Ah, there we go. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, kind of pity and compassion biblically are very similar, how can the love of God be in that person? If you have any material possession, you see someone else in need and you do not give it to them, how can you have the love of God? I mean, that, a, a preacher would never dream of saying that. Let the Bible say it. If you have something that someone else needs, give it to them. That doesn't mean you give them the second best. That doesn't mean um, I get to give them the kind of the bit that I didn't want. It doesn't mean I get to give them the leftovers. It means we give them what we have. Because what, do, what we have comes from God. Your possessions and what you have are not yours. And again, let's come back to this picture of eternity. You have them for today, but God can take it away tomorrow. I want to, give you, I want to finish off um, with a cracking story um, from the early church. So I think it was the year 258. There was a pope called Pope R, something beginning with B. And there was some severe persecution in Rome at the time. And so much so that the um, emperor had just said, basically, every pope and leader of the church must be killed unless, unless you renounce Christ as your Lord. So this pope kind of, <laughs> it's funny because the moment that edict was given out, this pope then said to one of his friends, right, you can be pope now. <laughs> okay, thanks. Here's a promotion. Um, so the, the Pope got, you know, he got, he got killed. But then the new Pope, I think it was like St. Lawrence or something, came in and as part of this persecution, they were, all the guards were ordered to go to the churches and take all their riches and treasures. 
when you say riches and treasures, this is kind of the communal part, what you give into as a church. So as the guards kind of were kind of making their way around the churches, this Lawrence guy basically said, right, we're going to get all of our treasures, everything we have as a church, and we're going to put it in these carts. They then went round and gave all of their treasures to all the poor people living around their church, their local parish, kind of extended out a little bit. And I think what happened was, the way it's written makes it sound like he told his like deacons, or like the next level of leadership, to say, right, you take this cart, you go that way, you take this cart, you go that way, you take this cart, you go that way, and then come back with you in it. And as they came back, Lawrence, as the guards turned up, uh, up at his church, he then says, with, his, with the leaders in the carts, he then says to the guard, these are our treasures and our riches. And he hands over and himself, themselves to the guards. It's a story of martyrdom where they realize that the riches and treasures that they have can be given and taken away from a man's point of view. We might have gold today, but it's gone the next. We might have riches today, but they're gone the next. What the riches and the treasures are are the hearts and lives of those who love Jesus. Now, St. Augustine, who wrote about this in a preach, <laughs> it's a really interesting story. 150 years later, Augustine heard this story, and he then used it as an illustration in his preaching, and he says this, The needs of the needy are the great wealth and treasure of Christians. If we deposit our savings with them, we will never lose them. We aren't afraid of anybody making off with them. The one who gave them to us is keeping them safe. Nor could we find a better guardian, nor a more trustworthy maker and keeper of promises. What a picture is that? When you show compassion, you are making deposits into places that you can't even touch right now. When you show compassion, you are investing into your eternal life beyond what you feel and see today. No matter what your bank balance says, no matter what investment program you might be in, no matter what your ISA or your pension value is, when you show compassion with the material possessions you have today, you get to build in to an eternal life for tomorrow. Our value is not what we build up on this earth. It's not what moth and rust can destroy, but we have an eternal vision, an eternal kingdom that we are building into. It might cost you, it might cost you a lot. Financially, it might cost you money. It might cost you buying a triple BLT sandwich from the co-op to give to Andrew as he's waiting outside. It might cost you a second car. It might cost you giving up your job to care for your parents. It might cost you building that extension so you have space to care for your family. It might cost you an extra half an hour a day to make that phone call that you've been putting off. It might cost you a subscription. It might cost you a week's worth of shopping. That cost today doesn't matter tomorrow but you've invested it in tomorrow. Compassion turned the ancient world upside down. And now we're coming to a time where compassion, again, now needs to turn the world the right side up. The verse that Margaret shared at the beginning um, can you just read it out again, Margaret? It was Isaiah 63, wasn't it? If you just read out the... Get it here. I'm just going to finish with this verse, which I thought was such a call to what this message was going to be about. Yeah, do you want to read it out?
So the key part there isn't just the kindness of the Lord, but his deeds. What has he done? So if the church is the hands and feet of Jesus, it's not just, the, it's not just waxing lyric in a preach. It's not just telling people what they need to believe. It's not just reading out a gospel tract to someone. It is being the need that they have. It is meeting the need that they have. It is acting out, doing something differently to what you've done before. This is an aspect of our life and our call to holiness that cannot just be done in our hearts. You don't need to feel it to do it. You don't need to feel compassionate to go and express it. You don't need to feel particularly giving to go and give. There's an aspect of this, just finishing here, there's an aspect of this where in the act of giving, in the act of showing compassion, our hearts are changed. Sometimes we need to act our way into understanding. We need to act our way into faith, act our way into belief. All of you have opportunities this week to show compassion. All of you this week have opportunities to be the answer to the prayers that people are praying. The deeds that God has done, he will do through you. No one is disqualified and no one is exempt. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you so much that you have not just invited us in, but you have extended an arm out of heaven to reach down to earth. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are right now knocking on the doors of our hearts. Jesus, that you are calling us out by name. So God, this week, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the, the needs that we can meet this week. The acts of kindness that we can show, the compassion that we can show, just like you have shown to us, Jesus. I thank you that all human life is valuable and equal for you, Jesus. That means that everyone I meet has the same need and opportunity to hear your word and hear your voice, Jesus. I pray, God, that you give me opportunities this week to show compassion to those around me. Help us to be generous people. Help us to be people who hold our possessions lightly so we can hold on tightly to your kingdom. We love you, Jesus. We say sorry for the times when we've been tight-fisted with our possessions, we've been tight-fisted with our time, but we've been too judgmental to extend love and compassion to those around us. So we say sorry and confess, Jesus, for forgetting the call to clothe ourselves with compassion. Help us to extend a hand out of our normal circumstances to care for our brother and our sister, to care for the least of these. Amen.